0: Happy Valentine's Day! By the time you hear this, you may be getting ready to celebrate or fondly remembering having just done so. Or maybe you're one of those people who doesn't care for Valentine's Day at all, which would put you in the minority, according to a survey that came out earlier this year. It found that 81% of Americans genuinely get excited about Valentine's Day even more so than Christmas. I was surprised to hear that and, as you might imagine, I definitely get more excited about Christmas and I'll bet you do too. But it is true that more and more people see Valentine's Day and its close cousin Galentine's Day as a day for celebrating not just romantic love, but all kinds of love. 59% of the people from that survey said that they plan to celebrate with their friends. 28% said they plan to celebrate with their pets. I'll link to that survey in the show notes and over at christmaspass.media so you can check it out for yourself. Well, whichever holiday you get more excited about, there's no denying that there is a connection between Christmas and Valentine's Day. And I'm not just talking about that somewhat recent trend of decorating a Valentine's Day tree. Look no farther than Instagram and Pinterest to see that that is indeed very much a thing. But mainly I'm thinking about the connection we've made between Christmas and romance. The majority of modern Christmas novels and movies, especially those made-for-TV movies, are about a new romance that blossoms during the Christmas season. And that's interesting in its own right. A quick Google search revealed that activity on dating apps like Tinder tends to be at its lowest during the Christmas season, which we can reasonably assume that also means that dating in general slows down around then. Which makes sense. Everyone's so busy listening to Christmas Past. Apparently, dating is the most active in January, January 5th to be exact, which has earned itself the name Singles' Day. So then why do we love stories about romance and Christmas? Well, in an upcoming episode, I'll be talking to one of the authors and screenwriters who create some of those stories, possibly some of the ones that you're familiar with. So we'll leave all of that for another time. For now, it is Valentine's Day and that calls for a love story, a Christmas love story to be specific. I love bringing you these old Christmas stories. There's an absolute treasure trove of stories from Christmas past long overdue to be rediscovered by today's audience. The one you're about to hear is While the Automobile Ran Down by Charles Loomis. It first appeared in The Century magazine in 1901. It's a simple, adorably sweet, and delightfully silly story about a man who needs to arrive for a Christmas dinner invitation to confess his feelings for a young lady. But things go comically awry. I'll come back at the end to say goodbye, but for now, please enjoy While the Automobile Ran Down, and Happy Valentine's Day! It was a letter to encourage a hesitating lover, and for non-thinkers came under that head. He certainly, Orville Thornton, author of Thoughts, received it on a Tuesday and immediately made up his mind to declare his intentions to Miss Annette Badeau that evening. But perhaps the contents of the letter will help the reader to better understand the case. Dear Orville, Miss Badeau sails unexpectedly for Paris on the day after Christmas, her Aunt Madge having cabled her to come visit her. Won't you come to Christmas dinner? I've invited the Joe Burtons, and of course, Mr. Martin will be there but no others, except Miss Badeau. Dinner will be at sharp seven. Don't be late, although I know you won't, you human timetable. I do hope that Annette will not fall in love in Paris. I wish she would marry some nice New Yorker and settle near me. I've always thought that you have neglected marriage, shamefully. Remember tomorrow night, and Annette sails on Thursday. Wishing you a Merry Christmas, I am your old friend, Henrietta Martin. Annette Badeau had come across the line of Orville's vision three months before. She was Mrs. Martin's niece, and had come from the West to live with her aunt at just about the time that the success of Thornton's book made him think of marriage. She was pretty and bright and expansive in a Western way, and when Thornton met her at one of the few afternoon teas that he ever attended, he fell in love with her. When he learned that she was the niece of his lifelong friend, Mrs. Martin, he suddenly discovered various reasons why he should call at the Martins' house once or twice a week. But a strange habit he had of putting off delightful moments in order to enjoy the anticipation to its fullest extent had caused him to refrain from disclosing the state of his heart to Miss Baddow. And so that young woman who had fallen in love with him even before she knew... That he was the gifted author of Thoughts for Non-Thinkers often wished to herself that she could in some way give him a hint of the state of her heart. Orville received Mrs. Martin's letter on Christmas Eve, and its contents made him plan a schedule for the next evening's running. No power on earth could keep him away from that dinner, and he immediately sent a telegram of regret to the bellwether of the Wolves Club, although he had been anticipating the Christmas gorge for a month. He also sent a messenger with a note of acceptance to Mrs. Martin. Then he joined the crowd of persons who always wait until Christmas Eve before buying the presents that stern and unpleasant duty makes it necessary to get. It would impart a characteristic Christmas flavor if it were possible to cover the ground with snow and to make the air merry with the sound of flashing belts of silvery sleigh bells on prancing horses. But although Christmases in stories are always snowy and frosty and sparkling with ice crystals, Christmases in real life were apt to be damp and humid. Let us be thankful that this Christmas is merely such as one as would not give a ghost of a reason for a trip to Florida. The Mercury stood at 58, and even light overcoats were not things to be put on without thought. Orville knew what he wished to get and where it was sold, and so he had the advantage over 99 out of 100 of the anxious-looking shoppers who scuttled by from shop to shop, burdened with bundles and making the evening the worst in the year for tired salesgirls and men. Orville's present was not exactly Christmassy, but he hoped that Miss Baddow would like it. And it was certainly the finest one on the velvet tray. Orville, it will be seen, was of a sanguine disposition. He did not hang up his stocking, he had not done that for years, but he did dream that Santa Claus brought him a beautiful doll from Paris. And just as he was saying, there must be some mistake. The doll turned into Miss Baddow and said, no, I'm for you. Merry Christmas. Then he woke up and thought about how foolish, and yet how fascinating, dreams are. Christmas morning was spent in polishing up an old essay on the value of summer as an invigorator. It had long been a habit of his to work over old stuff on his holidays, and if he was about to marry, he would need to sell everything he had, of a literary, marketable nature. But this morning, a vision of a lovely girl who on the morrow was going to sail thousands of miles away came between him and the page, and at last he tossed the manuscript into a drawer and went out for a walk. It was the draggiest Christmas he had ever known, and the warmest. He dropped in at the club. But there was hardly anyone there. Still, he did manage to play a few games of billiards and at last the clock announced that it was time to go home and dress for the Christmas dinner. It was half past five when he left the club. It was twenty minutes to six when he slipped on a piece of orange peel and measured his length on the sidewalk. He was able to rise and hobble up the steps on one foot, but the hall boy had to help him into the elevator and thence to his room. He dropped upon his bed, feeling white about the gills. Orville was a most methodical man. He planned his doings days ahead and seldom changed his schedule. But it seemed likely that, unless he was built of sterner stuff than most of the machines called men, he would not run out of the roundhouse tonight. His fall had given his foot a nasty wrench. Some engineers, to change the simile, would have argued that the engine was off the track and that therefore the train was not in running condition. But Orville merely changed engines. His own steam having been cut off, he ordered an automobile for 20 minutes to 7. And after he had bathed and bandaged his ankle, he determined, with a grit worthy of the cause that brought it forth, to attend that dinner even if he paid for it in the hospital, with Annette as special nurse. Old Mr. Nickerson, who lived across the hall, had heard of his misfortune and called to proffer his services. "'Shall I help you get to bed?' said he. "'I am not due in bed, Mr. Nickerson, for many hours. But if you will give me a few fingers of your excellent old scotch with the bouquet of smoked herring, I will go on dressing for dinner.' "'Dear boy,' said the old gentleman, almost tearfully, "'it is impossible for you to venture on your foot with such a sprain. It's badly swollen.' Mr. Nickerson, my heart has received a worse wrench than my foot has, therefore I go to dine. At sound of which enigmatical declaration, Mr. Nickerson hurried off for the old scotch, and in a few minutes, Orville's faintness had passed off. And with help from the amiable old man, he got into his evening clothes with the exception of his left foot, which was encased in a flowered slipper of sunset red. Now, my dear Mr. Nickerson, I am a thousand times obliged to you, and if I can get you to help me to hop downstairs, I will wait for the automobile on the front stoop. Orville had been born in Brooklyn where they still had stoops. I'm on time so far. But if Oroville was on time, the automobile was not, the driver not being a methodical man, and when it did come, it was all the motorman could do to stop it. It seemed restive. You ought to shut off on the oats, said Orville gaily, from his seat on the lowest step of the stoop. The picture of a gentleman in immaculate evening clothes, with the exception of a somewhat rococo carpet slipper, seemed to amuse some street children who were passing. If they could have followed the auto, they would have been even more diverted, but such was not to be their fortune. Mr. Nickerson helped his friend into the vehicle, and the driver started at a lively rate for Fifth Avenue. Orville lived on 17th Street near 5th Avenue. Mrs. Martin lived on 5th Avenue near 40th Street. 38th Street and 39th Street were reached and passed without further incident than the fact that Orville's ankle pained him almost beyond the bearing point. But as it is not the history of a sprained ankle that I'm writing, if the vehicle had stopped at Mrs. Martin's, my pen would not have set to paper. But the motor wagon didn't even pause. It kept on, as if the Harlem River were to be its next stop. Orville had stated the number of his destination with distinctness, and now he rang the annunciator and asked the driver why he did not stop. Calmly, in the even tones that clear-headed persons use when they wish to inspire confidence, the chauffeur said, Don't be alarmed, sir, but I can't stop. There's something out of kilter, and I may have to run some time before I can get the hang of it. There's no danger as long as I can steer. Can't you slacken up in front of the house so that I can jump? With that foot, sir? Impossible, and anyway, I can't slacken up. I think we'll stop soon. I don't know when it was charged, but a gentleman had it before I was sent out with it. It won't be long, I think. I'll run around the block and maybe I can stop the next time." Orville groaned for a twofold reason. His ankle was jumping with pain, and he would lose the pleasure of taking Miss Baddow in for dinner, for it was a minute past seven. He sat and gazed at his carpet slipper and then thought of the daintily shod feet of the adorable Annette as the horseless carriage wound around the block. As they approached the house again, Orville imagined that they were slackening up, and he opened the door to be ready. It was now three minutes past seven and dinner had begun, beyond a doubt. The driver saw the door swing open and said, Don't jump, sir, I can't stop yet. I'm afraid there's a good deal of run in the machine. Orville looked up at the brownstone front of the house with an agonized stare, as if he would pull Mrs. Martin to the window by the power of his eyes. But Mrs. Martin was not in the habit of pressing her nose against the pane in an anxious search for tardy guests. In fact, it may be asserted with confidence that this is not a Fifth Avenue custom. At that moment, the puree was being served to Mrs. Martin's guests and to pretty Annette Baddow, who really looked disconsolate with the vacant chair beside her. "'Something has happened to Orville,' said Mrs. Martin, looking over her shoulder toward the hall door. "'For he is punctuality itself.' Mr. Joe Burton was a short, red-faced little man with black mutton-chop whiskers of the style of 76 and a way of looking in the most cheerful manner upon the dark side of things. Dessay, he's been run over, he said choppily. Wonder anyone escapes. Steam, gasoline, electric, horseflesh, man-propelled juggernauts ought to be prohibited. Annette could not repress a shudder. Her aunt saw it and said, Orville will never be run over. He's too wide awake, but it is very singular. He may have been detained by an order for a story, said Mr. Martin. Also with the amiable purpose of consoling Annette. For both of the Martins knew how she felt about Mr. Thornton. Maybe he's lying on the front sidewalk hit by a sign or bitten by a dog dogs ought not to be allowed in the city, they only add to the dangers of the metropolitan existence, jerked out Mr. Burton, in blithe tones, totally unaware that his remarks might worry Annette. Dear me, I wish you'd send someone out to see Aunt Henrietta. Nonsense, Annette. Mr. Burton is always an alarmist. But, Marie, you might step to the front door and look down the avenue. Mr. Thornton is always so punctual that it is peculiar." Marie went to the front door and looked down the street just as Thornton, gesticulating wildly, disappeared around the corner of 40th Street. Oh, why didn't she come sooner, said he aloud to himself. At least they would know why I'm late, and she'll be gone before I come back round again. Was there ever such luck? Oh, for a good old horse that could stop, a dear old nag that would pause and not go round and round like a blamed carousel. Say, driver. Isn't there any way of stopping this cursed thing? Can you run into a fence or a house? I'll take the risk. But I won't, sir. These automobiles are very powerful, and one of them turned over a newsstand not long ago and upset the stove in it and nearly burned up the newsman. But there's plenty of time for it to stop. I don't have to hurry back. Well, that's lucky, said Orville. I thought maybe you'd have to leave me alone with the thing. But say, she might run all night. Here I am, due for dinner, and I'm tired of riding. This is no way to spend Christmas. Slacken up, and I'll jump when I get around there again. I tell you I can't slacken up, and she's going 10 miles per hour. You'll break your leg if you jump, and then where will you be? I might be on their sidewalk, and then you could ring their bell and they take me in. And have you suing the company for damages? Oh no, sir. I'm sorry, but it can't be helped. The company won't charge you for the extra time. No, I don't think they will, said Thornton, savagely. The more so that his foot gave a twinge of pain just then. There was no one in sight, ma'am, said Marie when she returned. Probably he had an order for a story and got absorbed in it and forgot about us, said Mr. Martin. But this conjecture did not seem to suit Annette, for it did not fit what she knew of his character. Possibly he was dropped in an elevator," said Mr. Burton. Strain on elevators, particularly these electric ones, is tremendous. Some of them have got to drop, and a dropping elevator is no respecter of persons. You and I may be in one of them when it drops. Probably he was. Sure, I hope not, but as he is known to be the soul of punctuality, we must put forward some accident to account for his lateness. People aren't always killed in elevator accidents, are they, my dear? Mr. Burton, said his wife, I wish you would give your morbid thoughts a rest. Don't you see that Annette is sensitive? Sensitive? With someone dying every minute? It's merely because she happens to know Orville that his death would be unpleasant. If a man in the Klondike were to read of it in the paper, he wouldn't remember it in five minutes. But I don't say that he was in an elevator. Maybe someone sent him an infernal machine for a Christmas present. May have been blown up in a manhole or jumped from his window to avoid flames. Why, there are a million ways to account for his absence. Marie had opened the parlor windows a moment before, as the house was warm, and now there came the humming of a rapidly moving automobile. Mingled with it, they heard distinctly, although faintly, Mr. Martin, here I go. It gave all an uncanny feeling. The fish was left untouched, and for a moment, silence reigned. Then, Mr. Martin sprang from the table and ran to the front door. He got there just in time to see an automobile dashing around the corner and to hear a distinctly articulated imprecation in the well-known voice of Orville Thornton. In evening clothes and bareheaded, Mr. Martin ran to 40th Street and saw the vehicle approaching 6th Avenue its occupant still hurling strong language upon the evening air. Mr. Martin is something of a sprinter, although he has passed the 50 mark and he resolved to solve the mystery. But before he had covered a third of the block in 40th Street, he saw that he could not hope to overtake the runaway automobile and so he turned and ran back to the house, rightly surmising that the driver would circle the block. When he reached his own doorstep, badly winded, He saw the automobile coming full-tilt up the avenue from 39th Street. The rest of the diners were on the steps. I think he's coming, he panted. The driver must be intoxicated. A moment later, they were treated to the spectacle of Orville, still hurling imprecations as he wildly gesticulated with both arms. Several boys were trying to keep up with the vehicle, but the pace was too swift. No policeman had yet discovered its rotary course. As Orville came near the Martin Mansion, he cried, "'Ah!' in the relieved tones of one who has been falling for half an hour and at least sees ground in sight. "'What's the matter?' shouted Mr. Martin, wonderingly as the carriage, instead of stopping, sped along the roadway. "'Sprained foot! Can't walk! Auto out of order! Can't stop! Goodbye till I come around again! Awful hungry! Merry Christmas!' "'Ah! Ha!' said Joe Burton. "'I told you that it was an accident!' sprained his foot and lost power over the vehicle I don't see the connection but let us be thankful that he isn't under the wheels with a broken neck or winding round and round the axle but what's to be done said Mrs. Martin he says he's hungry tell you what said Mr. Burton in his explosive way put some food on a plate and when the carriage comes round again I'll jump aboard and he can eat as he travels he loves puree of celery said Mrs. Martin very well put some in a clean lard pail or a milk pail, little out of the ordinary, but so is the accident, and he can't help his hunger. Hunger is no disgrace. I don't think he'll ever eat soup again to tell the truth. I was making up my mind whether a wreath or a harp would be better. Oh, you are so morbid, Mr. Burton, said his wife, while Mr. Martin told the maid to get a pail and put some puree in it. When Thornton came around again, he met Mr. Martin near 39th Street. Open the door, Orville, and Joe Burton will get on board with some soup. You must be starved. There's nothing like exercise for getting up an appetite. I'll be ready for Burton, said Orville. Awful sorry I can't stop and talk, but I'll see you again in a minute or two. He opened the door as he spoke, and then, to the great delight of at least a score of people who had realized that the automobile was running away, the rubicund and stout Joe Burton, a pail of puree in one hand and some table cutlery and silverware and a napkin in the other, made a dash at the vehicle, and with the help of Orville effected an entrance. "'Merry Christmas,' said Orville. "'Merry Christmas. Awfully sorry, old man, but it might be worse. Better to drink it out of the pail.' They gave me a knife and a fork, but they neglected to put in a spoon or a dish. I thought that you were probably killed, but I never imagined this. Miss Bado is terribly worked up. I think that she had decided on white carnations. Nice girl. You could easily jump, old man, if you hadn't sprained your foot. Does it hurt much? Hurts like the devil, but I'm glad it worried Miss Bado. No, I don't mean that, but you know. Yes, I know, said Burton, with a sociable smile. Mrs. Martin told me. Nice girl. Let her in next time. Unusual thing, you know. People are very apt to jump from a runaway vehicle, but it seldom takes up passengers. Let her get in and you can explain matters to her. You see, she sails early in the morning and you haven't much time. You can tell her what a nice fellow you are, you know, and I'm sure you'll have Mrs. Martin's blessing. Here's where I get out. With an agility admirable in one of his stoutness, Mr. Burton leaped onto the street and ran up the steps to speak to Miss Baddow. Orville could see her blush, but there was no time for her to become a passenger that trip, and the young man once more made the circuit of the block quite alone, but strangely happy. He had never ridden without Annette, except once on an elevated road, and then Mr. and Mrs. Martin were of the company. Round sped the motor, and when the Martins appeared in sight, Annette was on the sidewalk with a covered dish in her hand and a look of excited expectancy on her face that added a hundredfold to its charms. "'Here you are, only ten cents a ride. Merry Christmas!' shouted Orville gaily and leaned half out of the automobile to catch her. It was a daring, almost an impossible jump, and yet Annette made it without accident, and, flushed and excited, sat down in front of Mr. Thornton without spilling her burden, which proved to be sweetbreads. Miss Baddow, Annette, I hadn't expected it to turn out this way, but of course your aunt doesn't care, or she wouldn't have let you come. We're really in no danger. This driver has had more experience dodging teams in this last hour than he'd get in an ordinary year. They tell me you're going to Europe early tomorrow to leave all your friends. Now I have something very important to say to you before you go. No thanks, I don't want anything more. That puree was very filling. I sprained my ankle and I need to be very quiet for a week or two, perhaps until this machine runs down. But at the end of that time, would you... Orville hesitated, and Annette blushed sweetly. She had set the sweetbreads down on the seat beside her. Orville had never looked so handsome before to her eyes. He hesitated. Go on, said she. Would you be willing to go to Paris on a bridal trip? Annette's answer was drowned in the hurrah of the driver as the automobile, gradually slackening, came to a full stop in front of the Martins. But Orville read her lips. And as he handed his untouched sweetbreads to Mrs. Burton and his sweetheart to her uncle, his face wore a seraphically happy expression. And when Mr. Martin and the driver helped him up the steps at precisely eight o'clock, Annette's hand sought his. And it was a jolly party that sat down to a big, though somewhat dried-up, Rhode Island turkey. Marriage also is an accident, said Mr. Burton. I hope you enjoyed that story as much as I did. Reading it was my Valentine to you. Now you might be wondering, what can I get Brian for Valentine's Day? And the answer is very simple. You can help this show to grow by telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Both of those things take less than a minute and it really does make a big difference. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I'll even send you an official Christmas Past sticker to say thanks. You can write me for details at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com or reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please do join our private Facebook group if you haven't already, because we celebrate all year round, just as we do here on the podcast. Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thanks as always for listening, and I hope you're enjoying our new year-round format. At the beginning of each month, you can expect a new episode of Christmas Around the World, the monthly series from Chantel Joy of all things Christmas. And throughout the month, I'll be bringing you stories like this, interviews with interesting people, new music showcases, and anything else I think will help you keep the Christmas spirit alive all throughout the year. Once again, I'm wishing you a very happy Valentine's Day, and until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright.